I am not an innocent, not bystander. An innocent bystander. I am a threat, am a threat, to, my threat enemy. to my enemy. I am powerful I am and cunning. Powerful. I am strategic, I am strategic and, bold. and bold. I will not sit idly by. I will take ground. I will advance. I will tear through my enemy. And my enemy will hate me. I will not avoid the difficult fight. I will fight. I will be wounded. I will be targeted and I will bleed. I will not tire. My wounds will be healed. I will see tragedy. I will feel pain. But I will be restored. My feet will not stumble. My hands will hold fast. I will not be intimidated. Hey, that's right. I'll even give you time to do there. Uh, for those of you who have actually got workbooks and don't have to imagine anymore, imagination. That's right. Turn to page 103. Isn't that neat? It's actually a page. It's not make-believe, you know, as all the other folks know. And uh, we're on chapter 9 on the topic of systemized Bible knowledge. That's right. And we'll just uh, uh, shorten that for the sake of time there. The big, long title. And we've been seeing, is the Bible one book or many? Both, that's right, is the trick question. And it's one book made up of 66. And the problem is they're written in different time periods, uh, different authors, different backgrounds, 40 different authors, roughly, different walks of life, over 1,400, 1,500-year uh, time span, and uh, all different kind of topics, different writing styles. Some of it's uh, 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 poetry, like with the Psalms, that's songs and things of nature, and some more factual, some, you know. And yet, they don't contradict each other. But the point is they're different books, different time frames, a bunch of them compiled into one book we call the Biblos of the Bible. And if you don't see how that fits together, you're going to get it all messed up. And that's the point. We saw that the Bible uh, already splits itself into two major categories, and that's with the Old Testament and the New Testament. But then as we saw last time, if you were here, that uh, there's even certain time periods, okay, or the fancy living word uh, is what's called dispensations, time periods. And if you don't understand the time period of what you're dealing with when you're reading a book, you're going to get it out of context, and you're going to try to apply something that doesn't apply to this time period, which leads to legalism and or false teaching, or you're going to jump ahead of yourself into a time period that has not come yet, i.e. the Millennium Kingdom, and you're going to try to put the, the, the pressure of that onto today, and it ain't going to happen. You and I, the church, are not going to usher in the, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Hello. Uh, he's going to do it himself, okay, as we saw. Now, tonight, we're going to see another interesting thing that if we get wrong in this book called the Bible that's comprised, compi comprised of 66 books, pick it out, Sparky, 66 different books, and that is the issue of not just time periods or dispensations, not just the big obvious one, the uh, split with the Old Testament and New Testament, but we're going to talk about the issue tonight uh, of covenants. Now, covenants is what we're going to see is basically contracts. God makes contracts, okay? Some are conditional, some are unconditional, 
The one that we're currently under is unconditional. The New Testament, the new covenant or contract. Anybody glad that it is unconditional? Meaning that it's dependent upon God for the fulfillment of it. Right. Now what we're going to see tonight is dealing, a lot of it is with the Jewish people. And this is where people get a lot of stuff wrong. Okay, when it comes to the contracts that God has made with the Jewish people. He hasn't fulfilled it all yet. So if you're going to say that we have replaced Israel, okay, and that we have absolved all those contracts, then you're going to call God a liar, which I don't recommend, okay? And what we're going to see is just as we appreciate our contract, the new covenant, the new contract is unconditional, meaning guaranteed by God and his work, not ours, then when he makes an unconditional contract with the Jewish people, guess what that means? He's going to do it, okay? They're temporarily under a temporary blindness, Paul says, they're being disciplined. We've popped in this wild olive branch to, to provide envy, if you will. But he's going to do it. He still has a plan for the Jewish people. And when you get that wrong, okay, and you're going to, I'm getting ahead of myself. But in Genesis, I believe it's chapter 12 is where we start to see this, okay. And the point that we're going to see the author makes is, listen, that's where the contracts begin. And you ain't going to understand the rest of the scripture. That's the first book of the Bible. You're not going to understand all of it unless you get the contracts right. So I'm kind of thinking that's important, right? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Let's take a look at the bottom of page 109. What are the biblical covenants? Well, thanks for asking, Bonnie. It works well with the notes. The Bible discloses that human history is the fulfillment of an eternal, what's that? Eternal purpose of God. God's eternal plan is revealed in Scripture and centers in solemn covenants or promises that God has made. At least eight biblical covenants are recorded for us, okay? And they incorporate the most important facts, top of page 110, relating to God's plan and purpose in the world. Most of these covenants, listen, are in the form of a declaration of a divine purpose, listen, which will certainly be fulfilled. At the top of page 110 there, will certainly be fulfilled, okay? Biblical covenants reveal God's eternal plan. And so listen, here's the crux of it. If we're to understand properly the whole of scripture, it becomes, underlying this, imperative, just like with the basic division of the Old and New Testament, which book am I reading, which covenant is under, so I can apply it rightly today, just like with the dispensation, which time period is this, who is it dealing with, is it affecting me today or not? With the covenants, it's imperative to know what they are, where they are in Scripture, and listen, how they relate to us. Why? Because that's where you get it wrong. That's right, Tom, that's where you get it wrong. That's where you're going to apply fall, uh, 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 legalism. That's where, again, it's, I'm telling you, it's, this is a hot topic today. Believe it or not, in the so-called church, and I use that loosely, because there's a lot of institutions out there that claim to be Christians that are not Christians. Uh, like a, a, one of the big, biggest obvious ones that, you know, when the news wants to go to a, a Christian source, quote-unquote, you know, they have a Roman Catholic priest come on. Sorry, doesn't represent Christianity. Roman Catholicism uh, is not equate biblical Christianity. Uh, does that mean that a person could be in Catholicism and they're not a Christian? I don't know their heart. For the life of me, I don't know why he's staying there. Okay, uh, but anyway, that's a whole side issue. But you could be a Catholic, I guess, and be born again. I don't know the heart. God could work through all kinds of stuff. Uh, but if you look at official Roman Catholic teaching, that is not biblical Christianity. Okay, and so that's what they do. And so I, when I say, probably a good word is to use a Christendom. Okay, it's probably a big term that's used today. When you look at Christendom, I said I'll let to get to this. The, the view that we hold, uh, the, the pre-trib, pre-mill, 
Okay, and the issue with the Jewish people with a literal covenant that's literally to be fulfilled at the end of the seven-year tribulation, which Jesus has come to set up the millennial kingdom, that is not the majority view in Christendom. Believe it or not, we're in the minority. But when you understand, when even though there's a word called Christendom, doesn't mean true biblical Christianity, then of course not. Okay, but the world doesn't know any differently. So let's go. Let's take a look at what these covenants are. The first three are found within what some have referred to as the dear sir of the Bible, Genesis 1 through 12. Uh, they include these three, the Adenic, the Adamic, and the Noahic covenants or contracts. Now, the first one, the Adenic, E-D-E-N-I-C, for those of you hooked on correct spelling, uh, covenant was conditional. Okay, that was different. This is conditional, not unconditional, it was conditional between Adam and God. Okay, the provisions include, among other things, and this is what we saw last week, that they did not eat the tree of good and evil. Okay, so that's exactly what they did. E nope, it was conditional. They failed to uphold their end of the contract and thus plunged the human race into sin and it brought spiritual death from which they had to be redeemed and later it did bring what God said was going to happen. You're going to die. Okay, you didn't die on the spot, but you brought death into the world and then eventually you did die, okay? Uh, the second one is your next blank there, the Adamic covenant, Genesis 3, 16 through 19. Now this was unconditional. This was right after the fall of mankind, if you read the context there, okay? And uh, you see that after mankind blew it, then all of a sudden God makes a promise. Tell you what I'm going to do. One day, one day, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. I'm going to undo this thing, okay? That's God doing it for us, okay? He said, only if you do. That's not what it says there. This one is unconditional, whereby God declares the results of their violation of the first contract, the Edenic one. And now a man's destiny in life is to have to work to produce his food from the lamb. Can you imagine being in the Garden of Eden and it's just all around you? I mean, put yourself, let's say if uh, uh, you went to some giant grocery store. Have you noticed all the choices we have, how spoiled we are? Okay, but you go to some giant grocery store and you don't have to pay for nothing. It's just like, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take a little bit of that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And that's how you lived every single day. That was their existence. I mean, talk about easy. Oh, I t and I'll let you keep doing this, whatever you want. Peace with nature, you're living in paradise. Go to the store whenever you want, man. You don't have to work for it. It's all there for you. Just don't eat from that thing. And, and I know that we're just as obedient as Adam and Eve, and it's so easy to cop on those rebels. Because God asks us to just, I'll, hey, I just, I, I only got two things for you. Love me with all your heart and your neighbors yourself. And so, man, we're, oh, I'm meddling, so let's keep moving on. Uh, the woman will experience, uh, not only you're going to have uh, work for your food, uh, you're going to experience sorrow, physical death. The woman's going to experience sorrow and pain in childbirth and desire. Now, add this there in your notes for correct interpretation there in the Hebrew. Not the desire man, it's the desire to rule over man is literally what it means there in the Hebrew. Major difference uh, in the text there. Okay, the bright spot is the fact that Satan is cursed, praise God, and the Redeemer is promised. That's what I just talked about in Genesis 3.15. One day God's gonna undo it. This is an unconditional one. Okay, now the third one is the Noahic covenant, and that's in Genesis 9, verses one through 18. Again, we saw a little bit of this last week. Uh, it was made with Noah and his sons, and it included the institution of human government. It granted power to the government to carry out capital punishment, and it allowed for men to eat the flesh of animals. Anybody looking forward to doing that tomorrow? <laughs> barbecue. Anybody barbecuing tomorrow? Thank you. Thank you. Oh, dude, I do have a piece of gum. <laughs> you are getting rewarded for your faithfulness. That's right. Uh, we are going to barbecue. Praise God. 
Uh, yeah, so we get to do that perfectly fine, have a clear conscience. That's right. Uh, and uh, the prophecy also contained the covenant disclosed that the godly line from which the Messiah would come would be through Shem. And I have to clarify this. That's not to be confused with Mo and Larry. That's a whole different family line. Okay. Did you guys ever buy into the Curly Joe thing? He just, I'm sorry. You had his right name, the first part. You can add another name on it and say, hey, Joe. But yeah, whatever, Tom. I'm just, we're just going to go. It's not there. Uh, Shim, he said, that's exactly uh, who it's going to be. You guys have daggers at me. I better do this. So. Uh, but anyway, let's continue on. Uh, through Shim. Now, just as the Adamic covenant introduced the dispensation of conscience, the Noahic covenant uh, introduced the dispensation of human government. Now, this is really where the bulk of the study is going to go tonight. Okay, it's this one. The Abrahamic covenant. Okay, that's your next blank there. The Abrahamic covenant. Okay, Dr. Mal Couch. Woo, I sat under that guy. That was the guy I sat under the seminary. What a man, that guy. Ooh, what a, he was a man's man. He still is. He's a man's man, that guy. Oh, he'd always say this, show me the verse, show me the verse, show me the verse. Uh, what a guy. I tell you, which is kind of an interesting quandary. I sat under Dr. Couch, but a cow, you know exactly where I'm going. But uh, that's right. The Bible began, this is what he said, the unfolding of the central planet in Genesis 12. Now listen to this with the key figure, Abraham. The contractor covenant or agreement God makes with him forms the backbone, listen to this, underline this, of the rest of the scripture. Did you catch that? If you mess up and if you don't understand and take the time to understand correctly the Abrahamic covenant, guess what you're not going to get correctly by and large? The rest of scripture, okay? The Abrahamic contract unrolls or unfolds all the way through Revelation, okay? And by understanding this agreement and its basic tenets, we can understand the rest of the Bible, the parts as well as the whole. Now, here's what that contract, Abrahamic contract, contained, top of page 111. Uh, it's given with Abraham there in Genesis 12 and then expanded later in those other references. Now, the promise involved a land. Okay, this is from God. I'm going to give you a land, a seed or an offspring. Remember, he didn't have any kids there, right? And uh, then I'm going to give you a blessing and you're going to be a blessing to all nations, okay? Uh, and the promise is, underline this, everlasting. How long is that? Everlasting, that's right. And here's the big phrase, unconditional, right? Well, okay, and I'm going to say this probably a couple different times. Our new contract, new covenant, through the cross of Jesus Christ, our salvation is unconditional. We get that. What did it just say about this Abrahamic covenant with the people of Israel? It is unconditional, Right? That means it's going to happen regardless of the Jewish people. You and I, praise God, are going to get to heaven regardless of our behavior. He makes the same kind of contract. And I say that, guys, because I'm telling you, Christendom, the bulk of it says the church has replaced Israel. That's a lie. Okay? All right, let's continue on. And it's literal. Underline that. So the, the contract is a land, a seed or offspring. It's a blessing. It's everlasting. It's unconditional. And it's literal. Now, on the literalness, I like this. The one guy, he says this. He says, the appointment, arrangement, and disposition or institution of a covenant relationship, whatever it might be regarded, presupposes two parties. That one who promises or imparts and the other who will receive or attain. Now, here's what he says. In all earthly transactions, when a promise, agreement, or contract is entered into by which one party gives a promise of value to another, it is universally 
the custom to explain such a relationship and its promise by the well-known laws of language contained in our grammar or in common usage. It would be regarded absurd and trifling to view them in another light. Let me translate that for you. If the contract back in the day was literal, how should you and I take the reading of the recording of this contract today? Literal. And that's why he says it's, it's, it's absurd. When they did contracts, it was a literal contract. When you bought a house, you signed a contract. But that's right, if you can't make your mortgage, you approach the bank and say, really what that contract symbolizes is really... No, it's a literal contract, all right? And that's what he's saying. So people to spiritualize the contract that God has made with the Jewish people, it's crazy. It's, it's ludicrous. It was real then, it's real today. Now, once Abraham obeyed the call to, uh, uh, to the lamb, God called him out of the, Ur, the Chaldees when he's taking that sharp left on the fertile crescent of the Mesopotamian Valley. Uh, no further conditions were placed on the covenant. The fulfillment of the con covenant depends solely on the faithfulness of God. Right? The faithfulness of God. Okay, is what he's talking about there. This fact was made even clear when the covenant was ratified again. Genesis 15. And this is where you see that in, in, uh, interesting passage. And again, it's a customary thing that they did. But there was one thing that changed with the custom. Okay, and let's take a look at that. He cut this with Abraham. Now, the cutting, if you will, the, of the contract, this was actually a custom of the day, okay, required both parties to pass between sacrificial animals. Uh, but at the critical time, God caused a deep sleep to come over Abraham, and only he, God, as represented in that passage, there was the, the smoking oven, the flaming torch, passed between the animals, okay? It was a contract back in those days. You and I, praise God, it's a whole lot cleaner. Uh, when we... So do our contracts, we sign them, right? With our signature. We, I'm going to do it. That's it. And then they sign underneath, right? That's the same. Back in those days, they did a different custom. Sounds weird to us, but that's how they did it. Okay, usually we'd have like a ravine. And if you look at the text, what they do is they take certain animals and then they would cut them in half and point them down towards the ravine. The blood would drip in the ravine and create like a goalie. And then they would walk uh, through the ravine you know, and basically saying, if I don't fulfill my end of the contract, may this, you know, happen to me, you know, is what it is. Okay, that's, that sounds weird. How many guys would take a pen signing over that? Thank you. Okay, but it, that's what they did. Okay, but as he says there in that text, if you pay attention, when it came to Abraham's turn to sign the contract, what did God do? Put him to sleep. He gave him one of my books to read, apparently. <laughs> you know, no, I used some other technique. Uh, and then, uh, so he put him to sleep, and God is the one who walked through. Okay, so what's that tell you? That's what he says. This placed the full responsibility or fulfillment of the contract provisions on God. Okay, that's the importance of that text there. All right, now, Abraham was truly blessed just as God promised. Hello, he keeps his promises. As well as a great nation emerged from Abraham, and to that nation, God gave the promise of the land, Palestine, and through Abraham also uh, has come the blessings to all nations, okay, exactly like God said would happen. Now, in addition uh, to giving us God's word, it was Abraham's descendant, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to atone for our sins. Now, Schaefer says this, he says, the covenant with Abraham, like the Adamic and Noahic covenants, is unconditional. While any particular generation of Israel could enjoy, listen to this, could enjoy its provisions only if they were obedient and could, for instance, be led off into captivity if they were disobedient. Okay, well, wait a second. What, what, what's going on there? 
I thought it was unconditional. Yeah, it's unconditional. Let me give you an analogy. Again, our contract, praise God, is unconditional. It's on the work of God, the work of Jesus Christ, right? Okay, but if we get disobedient, what does God do to us? He spanky-winkies us. He disciplines us. Hebrews chapter 12, right? And so we all know when we get disciplined by God, that means we lost our contract. No, it just means you got disciplined. Same thing. Israel could enjoy it. We can enjoy the fruits of an intimate, beautiful, loving relationship with God, the creator of the universe, now before we even get to heaven. But our disobedience could kind of mess that up. Praise God, we're still saved, but you don't get to enjoy it like you could because of your disobedience. But it doesn't affect the contract, amen? And that's what he's talking about here, okay? And they, they were disobedient, so God led them off into captivity at different times. Uh, but the ultimate purpose of God to bless Israel, to reveal himself through Israel, to provide redemption through Israel, and to bring Israel into the promised land is absolutely certain because it depends upon God's sovereign power and will rather than man's. It's unconditional. He's going to do it, okay? In spite of Israel's many failures in the Old Testament, God did reveal himself to them. He caused the scriptures to be written. Uh, ultimately, Jesus, praise God, was born, lived and died, rose again exactly as the word of God had anticipated, okay? And in spite of human failure, the purposes of God are certain fulfillment. Yeah, Israel was disobedient, but that doesn't affect the contract. Yes, today we're disobedient. Amen, it doesn't affect the contract, right? Same thing, and I belabor that because I'm telling you, here it is, Christendom, let's say that. Christendom says, no, we replaced them. No wonder much uh, Babylonia teaching. And certainly, here's the other thing. If you believe that we replaced Israel, which is one of the key players in the uh, book of Revelation, the seven-year tribulation, no wonder people don't want to study it. No wonder people want to approach the book of Revelation and say, well, that's really not to be taken literally because we replaced Israel. And of course, you have to talk like that when you do this, Jordan. Okay, uh, and uh, some really bad accents uh, with the British again. But uh, anyway, but uh, we replaced Israel. So really what this is, is a symbolism of the daily warfare that the church experiences in the relationship with Jesus. That's actually a popular view out there towards the book of Revelation. No, don't think so. But again, see, if you don't get this right from the beginning, you'll mess up the rest of the Bible. Okay, you've got to understand it was unconditional, just like ours is unconditional and it's still going to happen. That explains what also is coming down the pike. Uh, let's continue on. As mentioned above, the promises of the Abrahamic covenant involve a land, is your blank, a seed, and a blessing. Now, so here's what we got. We got the Abrahamic covenant, Abrahamic covenant, and it uh, breaks down into three things. You got this land thing that's going on here, okay, and the blessing, I think he said the seed there, so you got three things that break off of that, okay? Now listen to this. From each of those things, the key word, you got a sub-branch or contract develops. Now, from the promise of the land is a Palestinian covenant, okay? This actually will help you keep it all, all together uh, if you actually would drop this little chart there. Uh, from the promise of the seed comes the Davidic covenant, okay? That's what Jesus is getting ready to do. Okay, and then from the promises of the blessing comes what you and I are experiencing right now, and that is the new covenant uh, a contract that we have, okay? Now, let's take a look at these three sub-branches, okay? This is it. So here's the Abrahamic covenant, unconditional. Off of this covenant are like, if you will, three sub-contracts, okay? Now he's gonna go into, have you ever had a con, 
Aren't you guys glad that when you sign a contract for a car or a house, it's only just one page long? Now, you, you got, I'm, I'm just trying to buy one thing, a house. You got subsection A, subsection B, point D, L, I, E, I, 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 right? So if you will, yes, this is the Abrahamic covenant. But within that is the subsection dealing with the land. Subsection uh, A is the Palestinian covenant. The blessing subsection B, which is the new covenant. And subsection C, the seed, which is the Davidic covenant. That's all it is, okay? Doesn't have to be confusing. Praise God, it doesn't keep going. Okay, what's that? Which one? This one? Davidic is what it's supposed to be, in theory, if we have enough faith. Uh, the Palestinian covenant, let's take a look at that, page 112. As we noted in the passage where the Abrahamic covenant was mentioned, uh, there was the promise of land. Okay, that's our subsection heading here. Okay, uh, later in Israel's history, this specific uh, part of the covenant was elaborated upon, expanded in Deuteronomy 30. The background of the giving of the covenant is significant. Now, let's take a look at that. Uh, God established this covenant at the end of Israel's 40 years of wilderness wandering, just short of the time the nation was to invade Canaan. Uh, the place of its establishment was in the land of Moab, east of the Dead Sea, across from the land of Canaan. The parties of the covenant were God, the new generation of Israelites, which was to invade Canaan, and succeeding generations of the nation. In Deuteronomy 29, Moses said to Israel, Neither with you only do I make this covenant and this oath, but with him who standeth here with us this day before the Lord our God, and also with him who is not with us today. So it's not just that generation, just that time. It says it right there. Okay, it's for the people. Okay, this is part of the unconditional deal. As a new generation was about to begin a new chapter in Israel's special covenant relationship with Jehovah, Jehovah this reminder appears to have been the purpose of the Palestinian covenant. Okay, it's just, it's already there. I'm, I'm going to remind you of my unconditional promise to you. Okay, and so what we see, there was ebbs and tides as they were obedient and disobedient. Okay, but again, it's an unconditional contract. Okay, they give up the land, they lost the land. Hey, that's not going on today, is it? Yeah, but you wait and see when this subsection C of the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, when Jesus comes back, it's all going to be there. Okay, all the land that God promised, it's all going to be there. It's his contract. He's going to fulfill it. All right, let's continue on. Although the covenant has conditional elements, which has caused Israel to be pushed from the land and scattered several times, okay, right? And we saw that with the, the, the examples there, Jacob and his descendants in Egypt. Uh, that's when they went into captivity. First, the north into Assyria, then the south in Babylonian captivity. Uh, then you have the Roman dispersion, uh, AD 70, okay, after the temple was destroyed by... Uh, 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 the Romans, the promise still stands as a result of this covenant that Israel will be returned to the land. All right? Israel will be returned to the land. What? You mean even after they were totally decimated in AD 70, they lost it all, even the temple, we should take serious what God said back in Genesis 12? Yeah, because if it doesn't come to pass, who's lying? And praise God, who doesn't lie? So what does that tell you? I don't care if it's been since 70 AD, since the Jewish people have been in their land. All I know is one day, and what happened in 1948? They're coming back. Why? Because God's not done. You see what I'm saying? Even events today, you're not going to get right if you don't get this contract. 
okay? They returned to the land. And that was one thing we dealt with. Uh, that was the, actually the very first topic in our final countdown study that we're going to finish in 19 years. Now we're getting close uh, towards the end. <laughs> okay, but the very first one, the Jewish people, and the very first point on the very first topic, the Jewish people, was they returned to the land. All right, it's a watershed event. They returned to the land and they became a nation again, against all odds. They became a nation in one day. And they became a united nation again. Their currency went back to being the shekel. They uh, became the breadbasket of the Middle East. They got a powerful military. They became a source of world conflicts. And they're getting ready to rebuild that temple that the Romans destroyed. Why is that important? Because that tells us that guess what? God is once again getting ready to fulfill his promise because he has to. Because he's not like us, he's holy, he does not lie. Which, and then when we get into these two, you realize, especially with the, the seed uh, covenant here, contract, the Davidic covenant, if they're back in the land, that means the one who's coming from the line of David to rule as king over the land, over the whole earth, is getting ready to come back. That's the watershed events when they became a nation again in 1948. But again, if you believe... Christendom. Oh no, we've replaced Israel. You know, they lost it. They're out of the deal. Then who cares if they came back in the land in 1948? And we need to do what, unfortunately, much of our foreign policy is doing today. It means nothing. Who needs to support Israel? Get them out of there. Because you don't understand the contract. Okay, let's continue on. Uh, that's what he talks about here. He said, uh, the ultimate, they're going to be in the promised land in safety under God's divine blessings. Never to be scattered again. Schaefer writes this about the Palestinian covenant. He says it includes Israel's dispersion for unbelief and disobedience. Do we always trust God? Do we always obey God? Well, that means we lost our contract. No, same thing with Israel. Uh, times of repentance, restoration, regathering Israel, uh, restoration back to the land, spiritual conversion and national restoration, uh, their ultimate safety and prosperity as a nation and the divine judgment of their oppressors. All these people coming against them, uh, read the Gog and Magog prophecy. We dealt with that way back in the beginning part of the final countdown study. Man, is that happening today or what? You do your homework and you take a look at those nations that are coming against Israel right now. It's exactly what Ezekiel was talking about, folks. It's all the Muslim nations that are coming against Israel today. And God says, hey, guess what? You're going to lose. Why? Because I made a contract with these folks. Don't mess with them. Right? But again, you want to spiritualize it? You're going to mess it up. And you're not going to get even the significance of where we're at today. The recent return of the Jews to the land, 1948, which has promised in this covenant, was significant. Now that the Jews are physically back in the land, the stage is set for Christ's return, which will result in the spiritual restoration of the Jews, which leads us to the next one, the Davidic covenant, top of page 113. It's found in 2 Samuel 7, 1 Chronicles 17. It's an unconditional covenant, okay? Expanding on the seed promise, so that's your subsection heading down here, okay? of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, the covenant promises, listen, and what kind of a royal lineage? Unending, okay? A throne and a kingdom, all of them, how long? Forever. So is somebody right now from the lineage of David reigning literally in Jerusalem in this land of promise, okay, over the whole world? No. So what does that mean? It's yet to come. Again, the land, they're back in the land. Okay? They, they don't have all of it back, and they're giving some of it up, but they're back in the land. So what's the stage set for? 
the one to take control and come back. That's Jesus Christ. According to 2 Samuel 7, God told David, your house, your kingdom will endure before me for how long? Forever. And your throne shall be established for how long? Forever. Now you notice here in these unconditional promises with the Abrahamic covenant and even the subsections, okay, very, very uh, determined verbiage that's used here. Forever, unending, it's happening, everlasting, all that stuff, right? It's pretty redundant. And that's what blows you away when people say, oh no, that, that didn't happen, or they spiritualized it, or we replaced Israel. What? Forever means forever. Unending means unending. Where do you get that? Okay, let's continue on. He says this. He says, as the Abrahamic covenant guaranteed to Israel's everlasting entity as a nation and an everlasting possession of the land, so the Davidic covenant guarantees them an everlasting what? Throne. And an everlasting what? king and an everlasting what kingdom from the day that the covenant was made and confirmed by jehovah's oath to the birth of christ david the literal king david did not lack for a son to sit on his throne that's the important thing when you look at the in the gospels you see the lineage that's laid out there okay and you see that all through the line that god kept that line open okay which eventually uh led to jesus christ who is a literal heir uh, from the seed of David, okay? So he was not without a son, being the rightful heir to the throne and the one, uh, Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God and son of David is the rightful heir to the throne and the one who will yet sit on the throne. It uh, completes the fulfillment of this promise to David that a son would sit on his throne forever. So how can it happen forever? Because Jesus lives forever. Okay, yeah, good answer. Okay, uh, the present reign of Christ on his throne in heaven does, underline this, does not, does not fulfill this covenant. See, this is what they'll say. Well, Jesus, yes, we agree with you. It says he is going to be ruling and reigning over all. But see, he's doing that right now, sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Yes, he is uh, sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and that's where he's been ever since Acts when he ascended uh, visibly before the disciples, who, by the way, said he's not gonna stay there forever. Uh, just as the way you saw him go, literally with your own eyes, literally, you're what? Literally going to see him come back. But anyway, they'll say that, well, he's doing that now from heaven. Read the promise. What's he say here? Listen to this. He says, uh, 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 this does not fulfill the covenant since uh, the promise concerning David's son reigning on his throne, which is on what? Earth. The promise is that he's going to rule and reign on earth. Read the contract. Okay, is so what's going on here? So how, how can you get around that? Okay, you're misapplying it. Not in heaven. When Christ returns to power and glory, he's going to take his place on the throne of David in Jerusalem, literally, to rule and reign there in the millennial kingdom. Okay, literally coming back, literally in Jerusalem, on a literal throne, and literally exercise that authority all over the planet. I think many people say, like, well, it's been 2,000 years. Hey, with the Lord to... Days like a thousand years, thousand years like a year. Times are irrelevant to God. He's above and beyond it all. He's not going, hey, I'm late. Oh, oh. He, God is God. He's above and beyond time. He sees the beginning from the end all at the same time. He looks at the whole span of human history, the beginning and the end, and we know Genesis, beginning, Revelation, the eternal state, and end literally is two dots with a line. There is a beginning of time, there was, and there's going to be an end of time because it's just going to be the eternal state. And God could see it all. The whole shot. So that's what, you know, in the passage says, you know, what the day of the Lord, you know. To him, it's already done. 
right? But we, on this linear time frame, go, hey, it's been two, he's not slow. As we see, we're going to see this text, Lord willing, on Sunday. Um, God is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. The only reason why he's waiting, the scripture says he's giving you time to repent so you can be saved. That's mercy. Okay, he's not put, he's, he's putting an end to this baloney, folks. Jesus Christ is going to fulfill this covenant. He has fulfilled it, but he's coming back to rule and reign literally. Judgment day is coming. The fulfillment, the complete fulfillment of this covenant, this contract is coming. The land, all of it is coming back. It's literally, it's coming. Jesus is going to rule over. It's coming. Judgment day is how the Bible calls it, okay? And so if he's not here yet and you're still sucking there and you're not saved, God is being merciful to you. He's not willing that you would perish. He wants you to come to repentance. He wants you to be saved before it's too late because one day it's going to be too late, okay? And that's an eternal uh, problem. Uh, let's continue on. The new covenant. Now, this is the final one. This is the blessing. This is the subsection B. Um, not second, okay. All right. Now, this is the promise of blessing that was given to Abraham at covenant. It's expanded in the new covenant. That's what we're enjoying. Uh, again, the Bible separating the Old Testament, New Testament. Testament is the English word for covenant or contract. Okay. Uh, the modern English, we refer to them as the Old Covenant uh, and the New Covenant. And uh, which is ratified through the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross. Now, the new covenant is given in Jeremiah. I believe the writer of Hebrews uh, reiterates and quotes this passage. Uh, and is stated as being made with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, in this new covenant, God states, I will put my law within them. And on their heart, I will write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, in light of the above verses, along with the other passages that deal with the covenant, we see that it includes other things. So here's what this new covenant, new contract, this subsection under the Abrahamic contract, under the blessing portion, this is what it contains. First, he promises regeneration. You can be born again. Okay. Second, he promises forgiveness of sin. I'll say that one more time. So second, he promises the forgiveness of sin. All three of you charismatics, you. All right. Uh, forgiveness of sin. Woo! Right. I should blow the roof on that one. Uh, third, he pledged the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The deposit, the guarantee of our contract. Remember we saw before when he talks about the pledge that he's given to us. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's the Greek word arabon, which means engagement ring. It's a contract. It's God's promise. The Holy Spirit, is, he, he, who is God, is his promise. You're getting there. Right? The very fact that you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, praise God, you're getting to heaven. Right? And that's what we saw before. It's ludicrous for people to say that you can be demon-possessed as a Christian. The Holy Spirit is not going to scoot over and, all right, get in here. Sorry, ain't happening. You're indwelled. You're the holy temple of God. Okay, you can be oppressed. Hello, that's real. That happens all the time. But praise God, no longer having been there, done that, folks, with actual demons inside me. The moment I called upon the name of Jesus Christ, they're all gone. Now, they'll still mess with you externally, but praise God, you're free from that, okay? But he promises that, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Fourth, he guaranteed universal knowledge of Jehovah among the people of Israel, and the context of the fourth promise indicate that God is referring to the personal experiential knowledge of himself, which comes through genuine salvation experience. Now, not just a head knowledge, okay? Genuine experiential knowledge. You know him. That's what James says in chapter 2. He says to people with the fake faith, he says, oh, yeah, you just got all this. I got faith, I got faith. He says, and you don't do squat. Okay, not meaning that you work for your salvation. He's saying that the test of an appropriate true faith uh, issues inappropriate behavior, not perfect behavior, 
But if you basically you're saying this, if you say, oh, I got faith, I believe in Jesus. But it's a mental ascent thing like, like, I believe in Abraham Lincoln. Yes, he was a real historical figure. I'm sorry, that's not salvation. You know any people like that? They'll give a mental ascent that I even know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. But it's never appropriated. It's, it's all locked up here. I, yep, yeah, I believe that. But you've never bowed a knee before Christ. You, it's just sitting there the whole time. You've never in faith reached out and received it. That doesn't do you any good. You, you have to receive it. Okay? And, and that's what he says. He says, oh, you sitting there saying, oh, I believe in God. He says in James 2. And he says, hey, listen, you, you don't even take care. You don't even, you don't even live like a Christian. Okay? It's not by works. But he's saying if you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, guess what he's going to do? You can't be complacent with sin. I'm not saying you're not going to sin. Now, the process of maturity we saw before is hopefully over time you sin less. That defines maturity. Okay? Not just head knowledge. How, how much more do you look like Jesus from when you first got saved? In your behavior. Right? And so here the I believe in God. And what's the, what's the amazing statement? He says, listen, this isn't head knowledge. He says, even the demons believe in God and they shudder. Are demons saved? No. So and this is what he says. This is the promise. You're going to know me experientially. This is the beautiful, intimate relationship. I, my son, the veil has been ripped from the temple. The direct access to the holy of holies. The very presence of God Almighty. The one who made the heavens and the earth. Who created all things therein. You can approach his throne with boldness. Isn't that an amazing promise? But I don't know about you. Every day it's such a chore to get up and pray to God. Man, don't we even know the contract we have? Yes. By Cracky, once we get here in a couple more paragraphs, that will be delineated just for you. That's right. Because we're enjoying a portion of it because we're grafted in. But there's a portion of this promise that's just for them. It's the, the nation and, and the material blessings. But we get the spiritual blessings. Let, let's, let's go ahead and get to that. Uh, in fact, there are no conditions given. Uh, shows the unconditional. There it is again. What, what, so even this, this one, the blessings, the one we're enjoying right now, the spiritual side anyway, it's unconditional. Okay? And uh, in addition, God states in Ezekiel 36, Israel would not deserve it, but he would bring it to pass himself. Now, isn't that awesome? D does any of us here deserve to be saved? Okay, praise God. Uh, oh, I better not raise my hand. Uh, no, right? Aren't you glad that God does it? Here, here's, here's a phrase that really warms my heart. In spite of us. God's plan marches on in spite of us. God's promise will be fulfilled in spite of us. Here's the good news. God will use us to do what he's called us to do in spite of us. God will bear fruit with us to do the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do, Ephesians 2.10, in spite of us. God loves us in spite of us. God allows for us every day to come to him in intimacy in spite of us. Isn't that neat? If you can't make that preach, you ain't got no preach in you. In spite of us. And that's what he's talking about. And this is what he says to Israel. I'm not doing this because you guys are so awesome. Woo, you're a positive advertisement for me. I just, I'm compelled. I've got to do it. No. Listen to what he says. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had what? 
Rotten commercial, rotten commercial, profaned. Harsh word used there. Among the nations where they went. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake. In other words, in spite of you, I'm doing this. Okay, oh, house of Israel, that I'm about to act. But for my holy name, I'm doing this for my glory, in spite of you. Okay, he says, uh, he says uh, 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 which you have profaned among the nations where you went. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been, listen to how many times he says that, profaned. Oh, that we would live lives as Christians. That when we're out in the world, that we don't profane the blessed name of God. I, that's, I use the vernacular all the time. We need to be a positive commercial for Jesus. We're the only Bible that some people will ever see. We're the only preacher. We're the only church service people will ever be a part of. What are we doing? Profane is the word that he uses there. Uh, which you have profaned. He says, does it again, which you profane in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. God also declared this covenant will be everlasting. Unconditional, everlasting. So once again, it was established. Uh, its promises would be fulfilled since the fulfillment depended solely on God's faithfulness. Now, each time we observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper or communion, we celebrate this new covenant and the ratifying of it through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, in looking at the provisions of the new covenant, it is clear, here you go, Bonnie, that we enjoy many of these benefits as the result of our salvation experience. We're regenerated, right? It's part of the promise. We have forgiveness of sins, right? I'll give you one more chance on that. We have forgiveness of sin. Yay, much better. Thank you. Uh, the indwelling Holy Spirit, right? And we got the new nature, right? So here's the question. Uh, uh, if the covenant was made with the nation of Israel, how do we benefit from its provision? Well, if you take a look at the contract, okay, at the blessings of the new covenant, we note that some are material and national in nature, okay? I.e., of the promises to the land, whereas others are purely what? Spiritual. That's the ones we're enjoying, okay? And that's the regeneration, the forgiveness of sin. There it is, Ruth, et. Okay, now, although the church is partaking in the spiritual blessings of this subsection of the Abrahamic covenant, part B, okay, listen, although we're experiencing uh, uh, the spiritual blessings, it is the nation of Israel who will receive the material and national promises, right? Jesus is not coming back ruling and reigning from the United States. Jesus Christ is not coming back and he is going to set up headquarters in the uh, Anglo-American society in England. Jesus Christ is coming back in fulfillment of these promises because, and it's, this part is strictly of Israel. Literally, the nation of Israel, the place of Israel, the land thereof. Right? There's your dividing line that's going on there, the difference there. Okay, we are, we'll get to this in a second, grafted into this. You know, we get a lot of it, but a couple of them are reserved for Israel because they're the root. We'll get to that. Thank you. Exactly, and that's exactly what I appreciate Dr. Couch when he set the pace. If you don't get this right from Genesis 12, if you don't understand this contract and you don't even understand the three subheadings in the contract, you're going to mess up the whole of the Bible, aren't you? Is it any wonder that has such a whacked out view? You mess with the contract. Okay. Hey, and we all know that when you mess with the contracts and you try to change them, 
that the bank always goes for that. And the lawyers go, man, you guys are awesome. I should have saw that the first time. Yeah, whatever. I'll just continue on. Uh, the connection that the church has to uh, the new covenant is explained in, in Galatians 3. Remember that the new covenant is a sub or branch covenant. Okay? And so if you will, you could take a look at this and you can put this out uh, on this here. You got the full extent of it to the Jewish people. Most of it would be to you and I, the Gentile. We're, we're, we've been branched into it. Okay? And we'll get to that analogy in just one second. Uh, Here's what he says. He talks about the spiritual blessings in Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us, speaking in the context of the Jews, okay, from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ, Jesus, the blessings of who? Abraham. The what covenant? Abrahamic covenant, listen, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, praise God, we get grafted in. That doesn't mean we replaced Israel. We just get to enjoy it. Has anybody ever been, there's a will in place, but you got written into it? That's all that's going on here. We didn't replace the originator and the original intent of the will of the primary person who gets the stuff. We just got popped in. And that's what he's talking about here, folks. Romans, Paul uses the same analogy. In fact, let's just go ahead and turn there as we'll close tonight uh, and take a look at that, what Paul says. Now that we've said all that and how we're grafted in, let's now take a look at what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 11. Okay? Uh, Ingrafted branches, okay? Uh, In fact, let's start at the very top here. And he says this, uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, he says now, Paul says this. Now, again, again, imagine as we read through this, the, the attitude of Christendom. Okay, you can hear Paul's sarcasm. Okay, he says this. Now, I, I asked then, did God reject his people, the Jewish people? What would Christendom say? Yes. No. And what's Paul said? <laughs> Are you kidding me? By no means. He said, I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham. Okay, the covenant from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know that the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, uh, they killed your prophets, torn down your altars, and I'm the only one left, and and they're trying to kill me. And, And what was God's answer to him? He's always got a remnant. Okay, and that's what he says. Hey, listen, excuse me. That's what you think, but uh, God says, I reserve for myself 7,000 who's not bowed to knee before Baal. So too, at the what? Present time, there is a remnant, Israel, chosen by grace. And if it's by grace, it's no longer of works, meaning it's unconditional. Okay, if it were grace, hello, it wouldn't be grace. Right? Okay? And then he says, well, well, well what then? Uh, uh, what Israel sought so earnestly, the Abrahamic covenant. Okay? Uh, it did not obtain, but the elect did, i.e. the church. He said, no, the others were hardened as it's written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, ears that they could not hear to this very day. David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. He says, well, and again, did they stumble as to fall beyond recovery? So does that mean they're never going to get the contract? That's what he's saying here, folks. What's he say? Not at all. How many times has he said that? Third time now. And so again, how how did you get around this? It's crazy. He says, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to what? Us. Okay, it's come to us. 
to make Israel what? Envious, but their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles. How much uh, greater riches will their fullness bring? When they experience national uh, uh, restoration, when they realize that they made a mistake halfway into the seven-year tribulation when the Antichrist goes up into the rebuilt Jewish temple and declares himself to be God, and then uh, as Zechariah says, two-thirds of the Jewish people are going to be annihilated. God is going to sovereignly protect one-third of the Israel. Okay, their eyes will be open. They'll realize that Jesus is the Messiah and then they'll continue. Okay, that's what he's talking about here, folks. He says, listen, that is, can you imagine what's going to happen to the planet when they finally get it? And they're not in this spirit of stupor. They don't get it now, which we are benefiting from. Yeah, because when you read the millennial kingdom and the characteristics of it, as we saw last week, that time period is going to be phenomenal when the Jewish people come back to their true one and only Messiah, Jesus Christ. The planet's going to be renovated. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. And just, just drop down there real quick to verse 25. He says, listen, and listen to what he said. I don't want you to be ignorant. Can, can, can I translate that a little bit for you? I don't want you to have the view of Christendom. Okay? Listen, of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part, temporary blindness, Okay, until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And so that all Israel will be what? Saved. Has that happened yet? No. So what's that mean? It's still yet to come. As is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn away godlessness from Jacob. And this is my, what? What's the word? Covenant contract with them when I take away their sins. Now, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are your enemies. In other words, they do resist, do they not? Right? He says this, but they are loved on the account of the patriarchs. Who's the patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The contract, Genesis chapter 12. For God's gifts and his calls are what? Praise God. It's going to happen regardless of man. That's what he says in Romans. Paul uses this analogy of an olive tree. He states some of the branches, the unbelieving Jews were broken off. You, you're a wild olive. Believing Gentiles, you're grafted in among them. And you become partakers of the rich root of the olive tree, the promises made to the fathers of the Abrahamic covenant. Through Christ, we partake of the new covenant between God and Israel. He says again, hey, listen, this is the will. This is the testament. This is the contract that God made with Israel. Praise God for their temporary blindness because it allowed you and I to be written in to experience a major portion of that contract of the will. But one day, he's going to fulfill the whole thing. And can I say something? I think it's going to be a whole lot sooner than we think. And the good news is, what a time that is going to be. Something that we should look forward to. And we should celebrate uh, and, uh, and be excited for that we are going to see the fulfillment of the ages come. Jesus Christ, God, does not lie. He is going to come and rule and reign on this planet and so shall it be forever and ever and ever and ever. I don't know about you, but I've only been alive for 45 years. That's right, Mike, 45 years. Okay, and in 45 years, man, the wickedness in the world, anybody getting sick and tired of it? This has been going on, folks, for 2,000 years since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not counting the other things. One day, it's all done. No more. And that will be our existence forever. How could we not look forward to that? Okay, but if you don't get the contract right and you certainly don't talk about future events, what we have in store for us 
No wonder we're so locked into this crazy messed up earth and our attitudes are down in the toilet. And we walk around being those bad advertisements for Jesus. How could life be horrible? Yes, it's going to have its challenges. But don't you understand your future? Don't you want to have the same future as me? Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder and you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. 
It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.